you would turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Genesis again, chapter 19. And this evening, I would like to read in your hearing from verse 15 through to the end of the chapter. Genesis 19, commencing our reading at verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And Lot said to him, or to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed now, your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favoured you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he over overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There is no man on earth to come in to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger 
she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Friends, there is a location on the planet Earth that is unique. There is no place like it on Earth. It is unique in typography. It is unique in geology. But it is also unique in this planet due to what it has witnessed. I speak of the Dead Sea. It's the lowest land-based elevation on Earth. Its lake's surface is 430 metres below sea level. It's also known as the Dead Sea for a very good reason. Nothing lives in the sea except bacteria. The surrounding shores are barren. The salt content of the waters is at 34%, while the Earth's oceans are only 3.5%. The waters are extremely dense due to its mineral content. Some of you know tourists love to swim there, or should I say float there. And yet it's an unusual spot for this other reason. This area has witnessed an amazing event. The Dead Sea is believed to cover the area spoken about in the Bible as the Valley of Siddim. In fact, Moses makes that very connection in Genesis 14 and verse 3, where he says, The Valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. And we would understand that this is the very area of Sodom and the valley where, where Lot lived, as we've seen this morning, for roughly 18 years. That sea is sometimes known as the Sea of Sodom or even the Sea of Lot. And further to this, geologists have found brimstone and sulfur, and the whole area is covered in thick ash. And again, Moses says in Genesis 14 and verse 10, Now the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits. Of all the valleys on the planet... This is a valley that has witnessed the outpouring of God's wrath on the wicked. In the valley of Siddim, in the days of Lot, there was both the deliverance from the wrath of God and there was also the destruction by the wrath of God. And so tonight I want to preach to you on what I've simply entitled deliverance and destruction. And I want to raise three things from this second half of Genesis 19. Number one, the dawning day. Number two, the urgent message. And then number three, the final judgment. And friends, when we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, as I sought to do this morning, it's like as if we are sitting before this massive screen and we are watching this incredible, dramatic motion picture unfold before us. This historical account is what unfolded in the Valley of Siddim some 3,920 years ago. Walk that very region today, and the evidence of this actually happening is everywhere. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that this story is just a fable, that this is some ancient fairy tale to scare people into believing. What we are considering tonight really did happen. 
And it has been written for us so that we do not face a similar fate. Rather that we would turn from our sin and that we would trust in the one Lord and the one Saviour of sinners. Because the day of judgment will soon be here. For those of you who were here this morning, you may recall we hit pause. We hit pause partway through this story. And we saw at that point how God had sent two of his angels to Sodom to warn Lot and to rescue him and his family from the coming judgment that God was about to send out upon this entire valley. Remember chapter 18, verse 20, where the scene was beginning to be set in that time before where it says, the Lord said, because the outcry outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. Our society today may have its way of regarding sodomy and Sodom's other sins, but God's verdict is abundantly clear. And when these angels came to Sodom and they speak with Lot that night before the destruction comes. This is where we got to this morning in chapter 19. Remember what they said to Lot in verse 12. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And remember how then Lot goes and he seeks to persuade his sons-in-laws to join him in fleeing the city. And they respond and they laughed at him. And that brings us then, friends, right to where we are in the story and to our first thing this evening, the dawning day. Look with me now in your Bibles back to verse 15, where it says, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. You see, friends, as the first light begins to dawn on the horizon. Time is running out. It is the morning of judgment. And it's like we now see this drama really begins to intensify. Lot is back at his house by this point. And soon the sun will shine into that valley. And the angels know the plan. Once the sun rays shine into the valley, then wrath will invade. And so time is of essence. Now you see is the time of action. Otherwise, Lot and his family will be swept away in the coming judgment and destruction. And yet here Moses shows us, Lot is not moving so fast. And so we're on the edge of our seats and we're perhaps saying to ourselves, get out of there, Lot. The angels say in some ways what we might want to shout at Lot at the end of verse 15. Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. But then we read at the start of verse 16, words that seem hard to believe. What does it say? Lot lingered. Lot hesitated. Lot delayed. And we might say, what are you doing, Lot? Didn't you hear what the angel said? Can't you see the sun rays? 
They are about to dawn into the valley. Why is Lot lingering? Just think about that. Why is he lingering? Is he wanting to pack up more stuff to take with him as he leaves the city? His precious earthly possessions that he'd worked for? Did he want to take one last look at those old photos on the living room wall? Or is righteous Lot still hoping that his sons-in-laws may yet come to the house? He does have many memories, no doubt, in that house. Many memories relating to that neighbourhood and that city. He'd lived there for over 15 years. Lot lingered. You see, everything in this whole scene is moving fast, except Lot. And we might think, what's our response to this? Surely our response to this is, Lot, you're nuts. You're bonkers. Is that your expression? You're bonkers. Get out of this place, man. Listen to the angels. Quit lingering. Start running, Lot. That's what Lot and his family should have been doing, surely, at this stage. Fleeing to the safety of the mountains. You think back, it's only a matter of hours ago. And his ribs were popping. Remember the scene. His eyes were bulging due to the violent city mob on the outside of that door. And now he's reluctant to leave. And on the one hand, Lot seems to believe the angels in his head. But on the other hand, his heart is pulled towards Sodom. Lot knows he must live, leave. But something in him doesn't want to leave. Only a few hours ago, he was preaching to his sons-in-law, to his own family that they should leave. And now he is slow to do it himself. Is this why his influence over his family seems to be minor? That is, his hypocrisy. Do as I say, do as I preach, not as I do. Christian parent, are you too much like Lot? I mean, you're good at telling your children what to do, but too slow to do it yourself. Could it be that that is the reason why your words seem to fall flat when you speak to them, especially as they get older? For years they've witnessed your hypocrisy and now they don't take that seriously what you say? Now we remember, don't we, that Lot was a believing man, righteous Lot. He knew what he had to do. But he lingered. Christian friend, what duty has God been pressing upon you late, uh, lately? You know you should do it. But there's something in you that just stubbornly does not want to do it. It's probably the thing that you're thinking about right now. Are you like Lot? That's what I'm asking. Are you lingering when you should be running in the way of obedience? You see, Lot's pattern of compromise and earthly mindedness, it appears to have left him dull in spiritual perception. His conscience blunt, his heart sluggish. Is that you, Christian? Well, if it is you, then I would urge you, go back to the throne and confess your sin, for there there is cleansing, and then arise, leave it all behind, and run in the way of obedience. 
Now remember where we are in this drama. Lot has to flee where he is. Otherwise, he will perish. That's the message. Flee or perish. And are there some of you here that right now you are not yet saved? You've heard the message of salvation in the past. And you know you must leave behind your sin. You know you must flee to Christ for salvation. But are you too like Lot? You've been hesitating. You've been delaying. Lot lingered. And so are you. Well, the day of judgment is about to dawn. And so I'd simply ask the question, are you crazy? Are you hesitating to become a Christian? Delaying to leave behind that darling sin or those worldly friends or whatever it is. And God says, get up. Get out of that place. Well, friends, I want you to see with me here, though, how gracious God was to Lot. In the midst of this, look back at the passage, verse 16. It says, while he lingered, it was while he lingered that the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. This is God's gracious grip. On Lot's life. Those angels are, if you like, the means, the representatives, the messengers of heaven. They are there, as it were, as God's men. And the angels grab Lot by the hand, and because he was tight in their grip, Lot was rescued. We're left with the impression, I think, that, that if this gracious grip of God's hand was not extended to Lot at this point, that Lot would have lingered longer in Sodom. And so we see this contrast between the graciousness of God and the foolishness of the heart of man. And like each one of us, left to himself, Lot would have brought destruction upon himself had it not been for God's grace. Lot needed those messengers, accompanied by God's gripping grace, to make their word effective. And if it were not for the grace of God in any of our lives, we who are saved would never have been saved. And so this part of the text is surely true for us. The Lord being merciful to him. You see, we might know the truth in our heads. We might be persuaded of the right thing to do. We might even be able to preach the message like Locke could. But the passing pleasures of sin can so bind us, they can so lure even us, and they can leave us vulnerable to the discipline of God. Even we who are saved, how we need to be so grateful for God's sovereign, saving, intervening, gracious grip in our own lives. And say again to those who still are not saved, you still linger to embrace Jesus. What does God have to do to move you to leave your sin and to flee to him. What does he have to do? Does he have to send someone to you to grab your hand? Will it take an angel? Are you that stubborn? Are you that willful and slow to believe? Well, my friend, don't pin your hopes that an angel will be sent for you when you already know what you've got to do. Let me state the obvious. I'm no angel, but I have been sent by God to call you, 
to flee to Christ for salvation. Shall I come down the stairs right now to you and grab you by your hand as you kneel there and pray for God to save you? I'm willing. My brothers and sisters in Christ, can you see that as believers, we are to act like the angels in this story? Exercising a grabbing hand. Jude says in his little book in verse 23, others saved with fear, pulling them, snatching them out of the fire to snatch. That's an act of urgency. It's very possible actually that, that Jude had Lot in mind when he wrote that verse. He's already spoken about the scene of Sodom earlier on in his book. Others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. In this story, ultimately, it's God's hand that saved. But God did use the means of a chosen servant or servants, the angels. And brothers and sisters, God has opted to, to use us as his chosen ambassadors. What a privilege. Those angels were willing Sinless angels, they were willing to, to enter a filthy city, to, to pluck brands from the fire in order that some may be saved. And so can you see, we are to go as them to some and, and to snatch them from the fire. And at times, yes, even ourselves be willing to go to those who are not so pleasant morally in our estimation, or socially, as we might say, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh, yes, but grabbing hold of them with a gracious hand, with a loving hand, pleading with them, and if we could, bring them with us. For after all, that's what's happened to us. We have been grabbed, could we say, by God's grace. And surely it's our great honour to extend that saving hand to others. To have compassion. To love Sodomites. To show the, the tenderness of Christ. The Jesus who ate with sinners. Extending a gracious grip. Surely our churches are to be more than just holy huddles and places of good teaching. But we are to be those who are extending grace to all in need. And so, brethren, consider with me as we move forward in our study and back to our story. The second thing, the urgent message. As we pick up the narrative the urgent message in verse 17. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So where are they now? See where they are. They're, they're not in the house. They're not outside the house. They're outside the city walls of Sodom. But they're still not safe. Did you pick up the repetition? Twice in these words, the angels say, escape. You see, they are still in that sinful valley. It's not... Just out of Sodom that they must come. They must flee the entire valley of sin. They must escape. They must escape. And that's heaven's message. It's a simple message. It's a clear message. And it's the message that still comes tonight to those not yet saved. And it's a message that comes out of love. 
Stay where you are and you will certainly perish under judgment. You must turn your back on your old sin. And so for those not saved, there is no hope if you stay in the valley of your sin. For all who remain unforgiven will certainly perish under God's justice. For the just God must punish sin. And so the loving message of heaven is escape. Escape. It's an urgent message. There is no safety in the valley of sin. And so the message from the angels is they must get to the mountains. But for the sinner, of course, it's not the literal mountains that we must flee. But salvation is found, we might say, via a mountain, the Mount of Calvary. It's found through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. There Jesus took the punishment for all who would turn from their sin and trust in him alone. And so the escape message, the escape message is intimately connected to Jesus Christ, the Saviour. It's heaven's message still tonight. Flee from your valley of sin and run to Christ who died for sinners and rose again. Friends, as we press play again on this unfolding drama, we find an unexpected twist. And time doesn't allow for us to develop everything here. But in verses 19 to 20, Lot is up to his old trick of compromise. He's looking to broker a deal again. He's looking to find a compromise. He suggests to the angels that perhaps there's another place, a better place. And yet how patient God is in dealing with this believer. In verse 21, he said to him, See, I have favoured you concerning this also, in that I will not overthrow this city from which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Still he must hurry. Still he must escape there. Of course, the irony of this is that Lot doesn't stay in Zohar. By the end of the chapter, it shows us that he's living in a cave in fear. Verse 23, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zohar. Here then, in that verse, really is the summary, is Lot's deliverance. Lot is safe in Zohar. He spared the wrath of God because he fled as God directed. And those sunbeams begin now to stream into the valley. And Lot's delivered, despite all of his folly, all of his compromise and disobedience that we have touched on today, the sovereign grace of God alone saved Lot. Thirdly and finally, friends, the final judgment. Moses now, almost in a non-emotional, clear, succinct way, describes the destruction. Verse 24. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Not just Sodom, but the entire valley. Moses uses this term overthrew, which has the idea of upheaval or eruption. 
The, the, the Hebrew verb carries even the idea of turning something upside down and inside out. Genesis 14, remember, tells us that the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen or tar pits, minerals and oils. That is highly combustionable material. There's an eyewitness account given to us here in this passage. And it describes as if the entire valley was on fire, like a, a burning furnace. It's the man of faith, Abraham, who's the eyewitness. Verse 27, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. Archaeological discoveries confirm something occurred there of extreme heat. Everything and everyone in the entire valley was consumed and left in a pile of ash. Now, some may try to explain this by way of natural explanations. A meteor, some have suggested. An earthquake. Volcanic activity. But sulfur from volcanic activity is 40%. This area is in the mid 90% range. And there is no doubt from a geological evidence that this was an incredible, destructive and catastrophic event. Apparently there are golf ball sized sulfur embedded into rocks splattered all over, literally like it seemed it rained brimstone. These sulfur balls can apparently still be ignited today. Whatever though, whatever be the gases and tar pits or major fault lines, to try and explain this away misses the whole point. Moses is clear. Look back at verse 24. Then the Lord rain, brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. You see the emphasis, the repetition again, the Lord, the Lord. And so Moses isn't focusing on secondary causes here. He's focusing on the extraordinary judgment of God that the judge of all the earth is the one that always does what is right. The outcry, remember, had grown great before him. God's justice was thorough and not one sinner escaped. Let no one think that they can avoid detection. Let no one think that they can hide from God or that somehow God will forget or somehow God will overlook what you did, what you said, what you thought, what you didn't think, what you should have thought, what you should have done. Justice demands a verdict and the guilty must be punished. Even those we thought, we thought, was saved. Jesus tells us in Luke 17, 32, to never forget Mrs. Lot. His words are, remember Lot's wife. Never forget her. Why? She had so many privileges. She's married to a believing husband. She'd known Abraham personally. She'd probably worshipped 
at the altar there with Abraham and her family. She had heard, no doubt, the promises of God given to Abraham. She had entertained angels in her house. She'd even seemed to have gone some way of giving evidence that she was saved because she did leave Sodom. But she looked back. And though her feet had left Sodom, it seems her heart was still there. Lot's wife seemed so close to salvation, but she looked back. She became a pillar of salt. She's a monument, you see, for us to remember. Jesus says, no one having put his hand to the plough, looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Think of her. She was awakened. She was awakened to the reality of God's judgment. She was awakened to the reality that she needed salvation. She was awakened to fundamental truths, we might say. She was awakened. But she was not saved. Remember Lot's wife. And Jesus goes on to say after that, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. She looked back and Jesus says, remember that she looked back. She sought to save her life and in that she lost her life. If she could, she can't, but if she could talk to you tonight and tell you such things, she would surely say, you must lose your life in Christ for Christ's sake. You must go to him for salvation and don't do what I did. Don't turn back to the world. The world is the city of destruction. Die to self. Surrender to Christ. Lose your life in him and you will find life. For Lot's wife and all the residents of the valley of sin, this was their final day on earth because judgment came. And yet that morning, they, uh, they awoke early that day, earlier on, and it perhaps would have seemed just like any other normal day. And Jesus mentions that in Luke 17, in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Business as usual. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And then Jesus says, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And friends, the dawning of that day is soon upon us. Soon, very soon, the beams of his coming we will see in the sky. And all those living in the valley of sin who have not been forgiven, they will be caught unaware. And by then, for them, it will be too late. Judgment day would have come. The verdict for those not in Christ will be eternal destruction in hell. And so the message is clear. Escaping the judgment to come is only possible by fleeing to Jesus Christ now, whatever religious privileges some of you have had in your life, and many of you have had many privileges, like Lot's wife, do not rely upon them. Jesus had some frightening words to say to those who had great privileges in his day, like many of you. Remember those in Capernaum. They had heard the, the preaching of Christ, but they failed to do anything with it. 
And Jesus says, you Capernaum, oh, you are exalted up to heaven, but you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Oh, my friend, they are frightening words. And so with all of your privileges, lay them aside and hear this truth. Escape for your life. There's no time to spare. The light of his coming is dawning in the east. One more hour and it may be too late. Delay no longer, my friend. There is only one step between you and death. One step between you and hell. It was Jonathan Edwards who described life like walking in this world. And underneath is the mouth of hell. And as we walk, it's like there's a, a, a thin canvas, a covering. And, and it's, it's fragile. It's got certain weak spots in it which no one can detect. And at any moment, you may step on one of them and it's all over. Trust in Christ alone for salvation, my friend. See him dying on Calvary's hill. Leave your sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. I want to close with a word to you, Montville brethren. We conclude this day. And as we do, we see how chapter 19 closes. It closes with a very sad ending of Lot's life. It's like his whole life ends under a cloud. After chapter 19, there is no mention of Lot again in the Genesis narrative. There's no mention of his death. There's just an X-rated account of him in a cave with his daughters. The last we see of Lot in the narrative. He is drunk in a dark cave at night. His daughter's hearts are revealed. The daughters he raised in perverse Sodom. And evidently that sinful culture had penetrated their hearts. Committing incest to them did not seem to be a problem. And perhaps it was that they had learned from their fathers pragmatic solutions. That, that compromise to God's righteous standards, well, that's how you survive. Living in Sodom or a dark cave. And Lot's legacy is put before us, inscribed by Moses' pen. Lot's descendants are the Moabites and the Ammonites, nations that become thorns in the flesh of Israel, enemies even of God's people. And so Lot leaves a testimony. Oh, but a very poor testimony indeed, isn't it? This is Lot's legacy. My Christian friend, especially my brothers, what will your legacy be? Much of this can be traced to Lot's fleshly decision to choose what appeared to be appealing to his eyes. What would further his career? What would give him comforts in life? But that which we have seen today was a disaster for him spiritually, leading to a tragic end to his wife and his daughters. Mrs. Lot has left a pillar of salt 
And rightly does Jesus say, remember Lot's wife. And yet our focus today has been Lot's life. We have in effect seen his life like a memorial. And surely as we close, we can hear the pulsating message of Moses running through this entire narrative in Genesis. Remember Lot's life. Avoid the danger of compromise. Seek the Lord. Put him first in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in all that you do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember Lot's life. Amen. Let us pray together. Our gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, our patient Father, and yet our merciful Saviour, we adore you for your sovereign grace, for your electing love, for your preservation in grace, for we your people. We delight that you are the God who is in all of your ways so far and so high above us. We conclude this day together in this act of worship and adoration to you, our much matchless Saviour and our glorious King. And we plead with you that you would show mercy, Lord, not only to us, but to all who are not yet in your kingdom. Be gracious to them. Lord, extend your hand of salvation, we plead. And now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.